Hey there, listener. I want to thank you for listening to the National Land Realty Podcast. Now, please remember to like, share, and review our show. If you can, take a second, hit pause, and give us a quick review. It only takes about a minute to write what you think about the content that you hear on this show. Good or bad, we want to hear it. Thank you in advance. Now on with the show. Disclaimer on this right now, I am sick as all get out, but the show must go on, right? So I'm going to run this intro. It's not going to sound the greatest, but this is a great episode. So welcome to episode number 27 of the National Land Realty Podcast, where we discuss all things land. Our goal here is to inform, educate, and entertain those of you who own land or are interested in the buying and selling of land throughout the United States. My name is Mac Christian, and I am the Chief Marketing Officer here at National Land Realty. I'll be your host for this episode. Now, this episode, I'm talking with Ryan Harris out of Little Rock, Arkansas, and we'll be talking about spot and stock versus tree stand hunting. Ryan has a lifetime of experience in the outdoors, and he uses the lessons handed down through generations in his family. He's a part-time taxidermist with his company, Bonehead Taxidermy, in addition to his career as a land professional, and he's a member of the Quality Deer Management Association. This episode is a break from talking purely about land, and I tell you, sometimes it is just great to talk about the experience of the hunt. Now, sit back and enjoy the show. So I'm sitting here with Ryan Harris out of uh, Fayetteville, Arkansas. And uh, Ryan, tell me how you got to national land. Well, I had, uh, I had lost, I had lost my job. Um, during COVID I got laid off and my wife had just kind of told me like, you know, now's, now's your chance to, uh, figure out what it, what it really is that you want to do. And, you know, chase something that you're going to be passionate about uh you know up until that point every job that i had was exactly that it was a job it wasn't necessarily a career and uh have always wanted to be in the outdoors and uh help people with whatever it may be um you know hunting or fishing or land or farms or just you know just i love being involved in anything in that that part of the world. And, um, I got my real estate license and crossed paths with, uh, Mr. Ronnie Richardson with national land. And, uh, as most people, most people know, uh, Ronnie, Ronnie can talk you into just about anything. So. I was going to say, if, yeah, I was, for, for those that don't know, we're talking about, we're talking about somebody who's been in the land industry, you know, forever, and is probably one of the more charismatic people that you're ever going to step across anywhere. <laughs> he, he is <laughs> a lot of agents that he has gotten on board here. I, I can, I will honestly say when I first sat down with him, I did not know what to think. I was like, <laughs> is, I was like, is this guy just, I mean, I, I, he didn't come across as a, as a, as a phony or anything, but I was like, man, is he just, is he just buttering me up or is what? this a real person? <laughs> right. And I actually ended up when, when we got done with our conversation, he had came and uh, came up and saw me in Fayetteville. He said, here, here's a number to, I can't remember who it was. Somebody else that was with the company that was an agent. He said, here's numbered so-and-so. Uh, if you, if you've got any questions that I didn't answer, just give them a call, you know? And I was like, well, I sat on it for a couple of days and I said, well, 
I'm going to give this old guy a call and just see what. And he's like, man, he said, he said, Ronnie's just a, just a big personality. And he said, I know he's kind of hard to, kind of hard to take in the beginning, but he said, I promise you, he's not leading you in the wrong direction. And I said, okay. And ever since then, it's just been, we've been thick as thieves. So. That's fantastic. Yeah. I need to have him on the show sometime just to, and I like, I don't even want to talk about anything in particular. I just want to let him go. Yeah. Yeah. I need to get him on here. Um, But yeah, so, so we're here to discuss sort of the, the techniques, usages and, and, you know, pros and cons of, of tree stand hunting versus spot and stock. And, you know, as it pertains to land, as it pertains to in, in general, but a lot of the time when we're discussing things, it's usually, uh, you know, talking about private land. And in this case, different tools are more useful in different scenarios, especially when you look at public land. And then geographically, when you look at East versus West, uh, you see a lot of differences in styles and techniques, but there's usages for all those in different, different areas. So uh, walk me through, right? Um, you know, Tell me about your experience and sort of, you know, your, your sort of your rundown. Well, I've grown up hunting. Um, I'm originally from Oklahoma city. So I've grown up spending a lot of time in what we call the cross timbers region of Oklahoma, which is a little, a little West of Oklahoma city um, is the Western boundary. And then over, over close by Tulsa, and over towards the eastern border of the state, close to Arkansas, that band of that band of uh, land there, they call it the Cross Timbers because it's where it's where the the Ozarks and the Washitas out of Missouri and Arkansas meet up with the plains of central and western Oklahoma, and it it is an area that has just created has been naturally created with pockets and blocks of timber and large openings that you know were never dozed they uh, bulldozed they were just uh created that way naturally and so it kind of sets itself up to be open for either style of hunting because a lot of the trees especially the farther west you get in the cross timbers the trees get shorter and bushier so it's hard to get up in a tree in that in that terrain and then the farther east you go um you know the heavier and taller the timber gets and the more contiguous the timber gets so it kind of lends itself more to being being up in a tree so right. uh, oh no i was sorry i was just i was agreeing with you like yeah that, that makes sense like thicker timber you want to be up high okay okay yeah so um I've kind of found in my experience that whether I'm in uh, Oklahoma or Arkansas, which uh, the two states that I hunt the most, I tend to be stationary and elevated most of the time, whether it be in a tree stand, in a tripod, in in an elevated box blind. But I'm also hunting a piece of ground that I have some type of control over, whether I've got a food plot planted or I'm hunting farmer's field or, you know, there's a feeder or whatever the case may be. I've taken several trips into the Western U S chasing mule deer and antelope. And that out there, when we go out there, it is 100% spot and stock. 
and the terrain out there, I mean, it lends itself very well to that style because you've got the elevation to get up above what you're after, uh, just like you would in a tree stand or a box blind. But the country is so open and you may see what you're after a mile and a half away and you can, you know, use your, use your glass, your spot and scope, your binoculars to find the animal that, that you would like to take and then use the terrain to make a move to get closer to that animal and get a shot on it. Yeah, that's, I, I was, we were talking just before kind of we started and I feel like I was naive until a fairly late point in life. I, I grew up out West and I'd never even seen anybody use a tree stand like ever in my life. I had seen them on hunting shows and it was just kind of a, Oh, I just, it never really processed that. Like that was a big, I, like I said, it's kind of naive. And I remember going to a hunting show uh, back East out in Pennsylvania and they had tree stands and, and, you know, they were even showing grain for food plots. And I remember just, I, again, <laughs> it's silly me walking up and, and asking them like, what's, what's the grain for? And they're like, well, it's for your food plot. I was like, wait, you plant a crop? Like <laughs> that's like you put food in the ground to bring it. That, tell me more. <laughs> and right. so I remember going through it the first time and it just kind of blew my mind. And, and that was sort of the, you know, my thought process was, you know, like, you you bring up a crop that the animals eat and they come in so it's like you don't have to go chase them they just come into you this is new <laughs> and, right and and there's there's a lot of you know there's hardcores on both sides of of that discussion of you know i would never sit in a tree stand or i would you know would never waste my time thumping around in the bushes you know like whatever it is there's people on both sides of it but i think i think the number one thing is that both techniques for hunting are spreading right you have you have more you know i i hear more spot and stock back east just to try it and to use it and then i i've started seeing tree stands out west and like you'll be walking through public land and just walk up on someone's tree stand out there in the middle of nowhere like oh somebody had an idea and, and so like there's you know there's there's all kinds of you know people are blending the two instead of being so hardcore on one or the other and there's usages for both right right I definitely think that the number one thing um, that we can do as outdoorsmen is, you know, whether whether you use a certain tactic or a certain brand or a product or not, um, we, we, we've all got to stick together. You know, there's a there's quite a large group of people out in the world that would like to see us not be able to uh, harvest an animal. And when we've got, you know, compound hunters uh, talking bad about crossbow hunters and tree stands <laughs> talking bad about people hunting off the ground. It, you know, we, we, we need to stay united. And, uh, but yes, I, I think most people, like you said, it's kind of a, it's kind of starting to blend a little bit instead of being super hardcore for one or the other and just using the tactic that fits best for that situation at that point in time. Yeah, I, I always kind of fall back on it. It's sort of a, just a, a mantra that I keep with any of my hobbies or my pursuits is that nobody likes a purist. Like anybody that, that looks at other people like, well, they don't do it the way that I do it. So they don't do it right. Like nobody likes that person. Don't be that person. Like don't go out there and tell everybody that they're wrong just because you do something. 
no one likes a purist. Right. <laughs> it happened. I, I do a lot of fly fishing and that's, it's very common with fly fishing. It's very common with hunting. It's, it's definitely an outdoors thing. So um, tell me a little bit about, you know, what are your ideal situation for tree stand hunting and how do you set it up? I would say my number one ideal situation for tree stand hunting would be some type of some type of funnel, um, whether it be natural or man-made funnel in the timber during the rut. That's that's number one in my books uh, as far as hunting out of a tree stand uh, in the woods during the rut. It's just those bucks are, especially in an area like where I'm hunting, spending most of my time in the woods where there is a lot of timber, you know, those, those bucks aren't keying in on what's above them. They're looking straight ahead. They're looking for that doe. So getting up above them is uh, just more advantageous to your, to your goals. Um, I've got a place that I hunt in Northeastern Oklahoma. And on the neighbor's property, there's a big, flat, wooded, just hardwood ridge. And as that ridge comes across the property line onto the 40 acres that I hunt, that ridge starts to get narrower and narrower and narrower. And then it starts to fall into the creek bottom. So there's like a spine that comes down off of that big, flat ridge down into the creek bottom. And I have a tree stand that is set up there's a little opening in the woods where that where that ridge was 150 yards wide on the neighbors and it's coming down to that to that pinch point at about where it gets to about 50 to 60 yards wide there's a little opening up there and i've got a tree stand right on the edge of it and i can go hunt that tree opening day of bow season for the first month of season and not see a deer and I can go hunt that tree in December after the rut's over and not see a deer. But for two weeks from about Halloween <laughs> to November 15th, every buck that touches that property will come through that pinch point. Because it's just the easiest way for them to get from that big flat down into that creek. And, and you see that a lot during the rut, right? Like, and, you know, where, where I hunt out West, you wait for the weather to push the bucks down. Cause they go back into secluded areas during the year. They move solitary. They're not, they're not right. hurting up or anything like that. And, and, you know, the older and wilier they are, the further back they go. And then you get that, that first cold snap when rut starts and they all drop, they drop right. into the lower areas where the does are, you know, it's like, they find the gathering places and they all come down low and it, otherwise you just never see them. So, I mean, in, in your case, what you're talking about too, is like a camera wouldn't do a lot of good either. Right. Like you could watch your trail cam all year and it it's not going to tell you the story. Right. I, I, I have a trail camera on that trail that, that leads uh, through that opening. They always make a couple scrapes there on the edge of that opening. And I go ahead and put the trail camera out, you know, first week of October. And, you know, there'll be a doe or two come through there or maybe a buck or two just just randomly, you know, may get one or two pictures a week at, at a random time, you know, might be the middle of the day, might be the middle of the night. And then right around Halloween, 
when the bucks really start hitting scrapes and really start cruising to look for that first doe, that camera just comes alive. It, it's amazing how many deer go through that opening in that two to three week period in the beginning of November. So you're saying, you know, good use of tree stand is, is really, it comes from experience, right? Like you, you, you've got to know the behavior of the animal in that particular type of season, right? Because if you were throwing it, if you were trying to figure out where to put a trail cam one year, or sorry, where to put a tree stand one year, you know, you might throw a trail cam out and watch the months coming up to, to the rut, but it's still not, you might not end up putting your tree stand in a great location because you don't see any animals and they come through a rut. Like you've got to learn the territory and know the behavior sort of in advance or, or have a trail cam up during the rut and see if you see things particularly to that, to that time period and maybe bank on setting it up for the next year where like right. you've really got to do your research because it does, you lack that, that mobility to get you around and you're just, you are in a tree. Right. Well, I mean, and it's going to be different on, you know, on every property. I mean, uh, you can, you can go on YouTube or the outdoor channel and watch as many videos as you want of, you know, some guy sitting on the edge of the food plot and there, Hey, there's a river bottom back here behind them. And there's one big tree line of cottonwoods that comes out of the river. And that's where all 80 deer walk out into that, out into that alfalfa field every night. So exactly. You've got to learn, you've got to learn what the animals want to do or not what they want to do, but how they act on the particular piece of ground that you're hunting. If, you know, I'm sure if you just grab a tree stand and go throw it up in the middle of a block of woods, are you going to see an animal if you sit there 15 times in a row? Yeah, you probably will, but you may not be in the best location on that piece of property. Right. And, and yeah, I always get a kick out of that with the, with the hunting shows and stuff. Cause they're always in the ideal situation, right? Like exactly <laughs> like you said, and, and I've actually, uh, some friends of mine have, have worked with, you know, outdoor writers and outdoor chefs and, and have hunted with like Hank Shaw a little bit, uh, that does, he does like, uh, what is it? Duck, duck, moose and, uh, a few other cookbooks. Um, but through that, I think at one point he tried getting Steve Ranella to go out and hunt in our area. And it was basically along the lines of if, if you get somebody like that, you have to be able to guarantee an animal. Right. Like, and, and there's no ifs, ands, or buts. And, and, you know, it would, they, they want you to guarantee success, which, you know, is good business, but it's also not realistic for most outdoorsmen. Right. <laughs> right. So those situations, when they're ideal like that, I mean, it's, it's pretty prime. Um, you know, I, I, I feel like the, the concept of tree stand next to a well-maintained food plot in a high traffic area uh, is, is kind of self-explanatory, right? Like you have the food, you get it to grow, the animals eat the food, you set up a tree stand and wait for the season to start. And, right. and you know, it's, it's, it, it, that, that part seems fairly, you know, it's, it's pretty common sense. Right. But when it comes down to, let's say you go to a, into a cold area, what are you doing first to, to figure out where to, to set up a tree stand? Like, okay, I want to figure out this new area. Maybe it's in private land. Like we'll, we'll talk into a case of private land. Maybe it's a new rec tract and you want to figure out where to put it. There's going to be some, some inside knowledge, but like, let's just talk about walking in cold and trying to figure it out. What, what would you try to set up there? 
Well, no matter what time of year it is, whether it's early season, you know, middle of the season during the rut or late season, the first thing I'm doing is I'm looking at a topo map or I'm, you know, I'm looking at a, a bird's eye view, a, a satellite image where I, you know, like my program on my phone that I use, I can, I can lay the topo lines on top of the satellite image so I can see where the trees are, where the open areas are where the creeks are, but I can also see the contour lines um, on that image. So I'm going to use the terrain um, to tell me just first off, you know, where to go. Um, because I, I kind of understand how the deer, especially over here in these hills, like how they use they use the terrain, for instance, you know, if you go, you just pick, come over here in the Ozarks and pick a mountain. If you walk from the base of that mountain or that hill up to the top of it, I can almost guarantee you a third of the way down from the top, you are going to find a heavy, heavy, heavy deer trail. And I don't know why that is, but for some reason, the deer just really like to, to run the ridge just off of the top of it. Um, this just something that just experience has taught me that there's almost always a really heavy trail a third of the way down the ridge. And then, you know, you've got, you've got little points and, uh, you know, uh, what we call haulers, uh, you know, drainages that come off of that mountain and every, every difference in terrain like that is going to move those deer and funnel those deer in a different way. Now, specifically, um, if I was going to be hunting the rut in a timbered area, uh, when I pull up that map, the, the first and the only thing that I am looking for is a pinch point. I am looking for where there's 20 acres of woods on the north end and 50 acres of woods on the south end and two fields with a little 10-yard wide strip of trees between the two blocks of timber. I'm going right there. I'm putting my stand up and I'm parking my butt for a week. Because at some point, there is going to be a good buck that cruises between those two blocks of timber, and he's not going to walk through the middle of those hay fields. He's going to walk right down that little strip. So a lot of it comes from experience of sort of knowing which pathways are preferred, uh, right. which, which kind of areas, and and you know that's something that only experience can give you, or you know if you feel like hitting the books ahead of time. And, jumping right. in, and doing your learning. I always find uh, one of our, one of our old quotes when I was, when I was younger was, you know, find, find a gray beard or a moss back and listen, <laughs> yeah. find, find somebody with some gray hair and ask them questions. And, and just so you're trying to accelerate your learning curve because, you know, you might have 10 years of knowledge, but you can, you can push 30 years of knowledge into your head in a very short amount of time by talking to somebody with some, some experience. And it's what's, what's hard for me now is realizing that I have a lot of gray hair and uh, <laughs> coming to terms with like, Oh no, I'm a gray beard. <laughs> yeah, I definitely, uh, I've, I've learned a lot that, that a lot of my knowledge has come from growing up in a household where, you know, my dad, my dad raised me in the woods and, um, just being around him and all of his friends that have done it for so long and which don't get me wrong. There's, 
there's plenty of stuff that some some of those old timers do that uh that I don't use. You know, I, I know when I was growing up, we did a lot of deer drives where we would push the deer. We would line up. Oh yeah. And That's something I've never been able to pull off. I've never seen it done. It, 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 I know a lot of people do it. Right. Which that wasn't, you know, that wasn't something coming from my dad and his friends and their generation. That was, that was a tactic that came from the, the generation before them, their parents, uh, same way with when I, the first time that I went out West to Wyoming on a mule deer hunt, we went with my dad and all his buddies and their parent, you know, their dads and, all the all the older crew wanted to do was two people on either side of a canyon. And if it had a good flat bottom in it, one person in the bottom and a couple people down at the bottom of the canyon and you push the canyon out. You know, you what's funny about you're talking about this, the, the driving and the way to hunt a canyon. And I mean, I guess I'm wrong that I have done it, but we did it for uh, rabbit hunting was how yeah. we would do that. We, it's exactly the. Cause I'd never seen people walk in a line and it was like, okay, no one get out front and everyone pay attention to where everybody is. And we push. And then, and then you find, you know, a steep area and it's like, someone's got ravines, someone has rim and, and you push through that same exact kind of thing. But so I, I guess I have seen those and done those just for different game. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, it is, it is a, just a totally different ball game. Everybody trying to stay in a line and, I mean, back whenever I was doing it with the guys that my dad hunted with, it was, we had walkie talkies. I mean, you know, it was a, it was a real, uh, real big, uh, real big production to, to push, push those canyons and stuff. But, uh, probably the second or third time we went, uh, one of the guys that was there, he kind of went off on his own and he come back second or third day with a really good buck and everybody was like well what wh where'd you go what'd you do and he said i went down there to that little bluff where i could see all those alfalfa fields on the river and i waited on the one that i wanted to go up in the canyon back onto the public and i figured out which canyon he was in i went and found him and i killed him so he ran a spot and stock in the middle of everybody else running lines. And, yeah. <laughs> and that's where it all switched. Cause you know, I can remember my dad saying like, Oh, we, we need to do something different. This walking and pushing deer and trying to, trying to, you know, hit them on the run. Just, you know, this is a lot harder than, than we're, than it should be. And when that old boy uh, was successful with that, from that point on, that was the way. That was the way we, we would still go in a group and we would still do some drives, you know, but it was instead of seven days of doing deer drives, it was two days of doing deer drives and five days of everybody hunting on their own. So, yeah. Yeah. So, so when was your first experience running kind of like a, a big country spot in stock and what was that? So how did you get introduced to that and what was that like? So my first, my first experience, uh, being out West on, on big open country like that was when I was 16. And I mean, in, in all honesty, the buck that I shot on that first trip, we just stumbled on the, on the deer. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't a planned thing. We hadn't been watching them. Um, we were just out and had been, been walking around glassing and we're heading back to the truck. And he sky, he skylighted himself up on the ridge was laying up on top of the ridge. Um, but the first trip that I went on 
when I wasn't with my dad, when it was me and one of my good buddies and it was going to be our first big, long, you know, uh, out West trip on our own. That was the first time that we really, really got into the spot and stock. And, uh, we, we didn't, we didn't take any monsters or anything like that on that trip, but we both shot a respectable buck for the area. And that's, that's how we did it. We, we got up, uh, you know, at daybreak and we were out in the area where, where we wanted to be when the sun came up and it was just find that high point. And there were days where we would only glass for an hour and get bored and we'd go move somewhere else. And then there were other days where we would glass for four or five hours, you know, sitting in one spot. Um, and it, it will test you. Um, I think there's something in your head, you know, when you're sitting in a tree stand for five hours in the woods and you don't see anything, I don't think it affects you as much because you can only see what you can see. But when you're out West and you're got your eyes in a pair of binoculars and you're sitting in the same spot for four hours and you're like, but what's a cr- what's over that hill over there? That's so that- funny. Cause that's our joke with it. With, uh, and I think just everybody does it is what's over that Ridge. Yeah, it is like well, it's a mile away, and we got to gain eight hundred feet of elevation. <laughs> yeah, <Not> an hour, and <laughs> so you just got to do it anyways. Right. So, uh, the last couple of times that I've been out west, um, we we tend to always. I have I have never been in like on a true like backpack backcountry in the timber line. I always I always end up, uh, you know. In the foothills, like I think the first time we went, we were in the foothills of the Bighorn Mountains um, in Wyoming, where they're where they're coming out into the plains on the west side of the mountain range. Um, and then the second time, or this last time, uh, we were we were down in southeastern Wyoming, right on the Colorado border. Um, I can't remember; it was a national forest, but we kind of tend to we kind of tend to stick to more of the open country just because it's different than what we get to hunt. You know, we're hunting a lot of timber here. Yeah. Uh, But I haven't really, uh, I don't really, you know, when I go out there, I don't really know enough about what, what are they, what are, what are they eating? What's the preferred food source right now? You know, I'm just, I just get on a vantage point and and look for deer and if i don't see don't see any i move to the next vantage point and and I, we may travel 10 miles without seeing any deer before we get into them now normally once we get into them they're there for a reason so they're there for several days in a row you know um but definitely like what you were talking about with the weather pushing them down the 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 time that we went and when we were hunting day one in the snow, there there were deer everywhere. Last year when we went, it was 78 degrees outside, I think, on opening morning. And we struggled big time. Hunting yeah, those are hard hunts. Well, and- in rolling hills before there had been any snow. Yeah, I was going to say, and then you, if you take it animals, like if you're after elk or something like that, where they don't necessarily, they'll be in the snow and out of the snow, but they, they will hug the snow line. 
and right. they kind of gauge where the snow line is or has been for the last couple of weeks. Cause if it recedes, then you don't quite know where everything is. It, it gets a little wonky like that. But the, the, the big thing that I'm hearing from you is a, is a very pragmatic approach where you sort of do what the terrain dictates, right? Yep. Where if it's, if it's thick and you know, I've, just got back from Alaska and we thought we were going to run some spot and stock hunts out there. And we got into the timber and realized what the timber is like, cause we hadn't been there. And so we finally got into the timber on, on in Alaska and it was, you had about 20 feet of visibility. Like this is nuts. And right. realizing you had to get to, a, you know, above the tree line or to clear cuts or things like that to where, you know, you're talking about an ideal tree stand situation you know, where, where you can set that up, but wouldn't have thought about that beforehand, you know, that, that, that would be what it is. But so, so yeah, what you're talking about is, is more sort of just pragmatic. Like if it's thick and there's lots of trails run a tree stand, if it's open, you can run spot and stock. Um, you know, have, have you done sort of some, some brush pounding, you know, like the, you know, I, I don't call it necessarily spot and stock, but it's more like jump shooting, right? You're just seeing what you can spook and wear. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what the, the guys I've listened to several podcasts and what I hear most people calling it is still hunting or slip hunting where you're, you're not, you're not just walking through the woods, you know, one step after another, you're, you're trying to blend in and, you know, a few steps at a time, pause, and just observing what's around you. Um, I have done slip, it. Is the, they're calling that slip hunting? Slip hunting. Okay. I, it, it's like, to me, it's like calling a strike indicator. It's like try, trying to call a bobber a strike indicator. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It's good though. You, know, you have names to the minute. called slip hunting or still hunting? Still, still hunting is just staying in one place? No, it's Dang moving it. around, but being very still in the process. <laughs> this sounds like sneaky and super sneaky. Yeah, it, yeah, pretty, yeah. <laughs> pretty much. I think um, they should. I think they should make the term. They need to adjust the terms and at least make them funny. Like, are you hunting sneaky today or super sneaky? I'm right. super sneaky. Yeah. So, unfortunately. Um, the the two places that I hunt the most, one of which I own and one that's a family friend's place across the line in Oklahoma, they're both 40 acre tracks. So I try my very best not to overpressure them, not to just get in there and make a bunch of ruckus and blow them out. Um, you know, cause there's, there's probably plenty of days where I can go out there and hunt and there's not even a deer on that 40 acres at that time. They're on the neighbors, you know? Um, now when I went on some larger public tracks, not just out West, but even in like Oklahoma, we'll, we'll do that. We'll do that from time to time. We will, we will just get on foot in, in the woods, in the thick stuff and just slip around until we find fresh sign, whether it be, you know, if it's feeding, feeding sign, whether we found a, a good oak tree that's dropping lots of acorns and there's a lot of uh, droppings around it, or, uh, we, you know, if it's rut sign, if we're finding a lot of scrapes and rubs and stuff like that, and then we really start to slow down and, you know, we may, we may hunker down and, 
you know, find a, find a bush to hide behind for a little while and just wait and see what comes by. Um, I haven't had a lot of success with it, but I am also, when I am on foot and not sitting in a tree stand or a blind, I'm a very impatient person. Once again, what, what's on the other side of the Creek? Uh, so that, that tends to not work very well for me. <laughs> you know, and I like, I like how you defined it. Whereas when you're in a tree stand, there's not really a choice, right? You can't, you can't just take down your tree stand and move it somewhere else. Like you just make do and you know that that's where you are and you don't suffer from that impatience. Right. Like, I, I think that's the, the quandary that everybody runs into when they do anything outside of a tree stand or, you know, l- let's, let's say just from any ambush scenario, right? Because you don't necessarily need a tree stand to be, I guess, what you would call it, you know, hidden or, or, or waiting. I, I would just call it an ambush style of hunting where, you know, you could be sitting behind a rock and stay there in, in an open country hunt because you know, it's a high traffic area and you can just station out. Right. Um, but, but that's the one thing in, in, I do love the, uh, the sneaky and the super sneaky, um, the, you know, the styles, cause there's the opposite that I have hunted with a lot, you know, throughout my life where uh, there's, there's certain individuals who I won't name or give my affiliation with them. So I don't throw them under the bus, but I, I just call them jump shooters where they basically just pound every piece of brush and walk fat and, and like they're walking and rummaging around and just causing chaos, you know, in the woods, which makes it hard to hunt. But that's sort of their, they're so impatient that like, oh, I have to see what's on that ridge. And I waited five minutes and there was nothing here. So I went to the next ridge. And the last time I did that, I was, I was with my longbow, which is like, this does not work for me. You know, like it's, it, it's very, very challenging in certain respects, but it, it can be effective, especially for that noontime where things are bedded down and you don't yeah. them walking by, you can jump them up. But it's, I guess there's subgenres, right? There's, it's not just spot and stock. It's, it's sneaky and super sneaky and, and loud and, and stationary sneaky. Yeah. Sneaky. Well, and, and you talking about sneaky versus super sneaky. Um, there's a, <laughs> there's a guy that, uh, that he was a guest on a podcast that I listened to, um, called the Southern Outdoorsman and the guys, uh, the guys out of Mississippi, he's actually a real estate broker himself. His, uh, name's Travis Murray. And he was telling a story about his uncle being, uh, a very experienced and very good woodsman, not, a, not a hunter, a yeah, woodsman. Just good outdoors. And, and good. He just, he just fit in seamlessly in the woods. And he was talking about, being on one of these deer drives where he was the stationary person waiting on them to push Push the deer his way. And he said, I was sitting there and I just saw something move in the, you know, to my right in my peripherals and boom, there popped my uncle. And he looked at me and he just put his, put his finger up on his lips, like telling me to be quiet. And then he just drifted back off into the woods. And he said, I never heard him. I never heard him coming. We're in, we're in hardwood timber with six inches of leaf litter on the ground. And he slipped up on me within 30 yards of me before I ever saw him, saw him. And then within 15, 20 seconds, he just went on down the ridge and just disappeared. 
So telling you, man, gray beards and mossbacks. Yep, <laughs> for sure. Yeah, I, it, and there's there's uh, I feel like I feel like my friends and I invented a new technique, which I, I don't know what you would call it. Maybe a drive by. And, and it's not what it sounds like. It's not shooting down the vehicle. It's not what it sounds like. But it was uh, the deer in a certain area we noticed would not react to a you know any kind of UTV. So right. you could go in a four wheeler side by side, and the deer wouldn't react because UTVs and four wheelers normally don't harass the deer, and so they would kind of hang out. But we realized as soon as you get out, they take off. Right. They, they see that that two legged thing that's a threat to them, and it's time to go. So we had the ingenious idea again, a longbow hunt where we would drive and see where they were, and they were within you know forty yards of the road. I was like, okay, I need to get on these, but I need to be hidden to do it. So we slowed down to about fifteen miles an hour, and I had to pick the biggest sagebrush to land in, and slowed down to that and ejected myself out of the UTV at 15 miles an hour and went through like three sagebrush, you know, curling up with the bow so I don't damage it. And then belly crawled, you know, to get where I wanted to be. And then I realized I didn't know, you know, where the animals were as compared to me. And I popped up and I'm in the middle of a herd and there's sagebrush between me and every single deer around. I'd screwed up the hunt. I snapped a twig and they all busted, but it was hilarious because it worked. It was, yeah, <laughs> if I if I could have been a better hunter in the moment, it would have worked out for me. So that's, I think uh, I think the drive by is a good technique as well. <laughs> that's an that's an awesome story. Yeah, they as long as as long as you don't stop, whether on a four wheeler and side by side or in a pickup truck, it, yeah, they do not react to those vehicles because they. I mean, especially if you're hunting in an area where there's any type of farming or ranching going on, there's always the guy out checking his fences, checking his cows in his tractor, whatever the case may be, you know, and they just do, or, or you may be in an area, you know, in a national forest area where there's cars going by to the, to the hiking trail, uh, you know, all day long, they just do not react to a moving vehicle. No, no, it's a thing. Well, the key here is, uh, it was my friend's idea, so I should have known that I would be jumping out of a vehicle. Just first and foremost, um, whenever somebody comes to you and says, "I have an idea," you can bank on some kind of like spectacular show about to happen, and and, and you know, and don't but don't turn down those ideas because they can work out. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding, yeah, for sure. Well, excellent, man. Well, hey, uh, any other thoughts on on you know what's your preference? What's what sort of uh, what do you prefer between the two? Man. And now we've decided, we, we've also defined some sub variants of this, right? We don't just have spot and stock. We have sneaky and super sneaky and I'm adding drive-by just cause it's hilarious. And you know what, you know, you, you don't necessarily need a tree stand. You can be stationary, but you can also ambush from like rock fields or, or elevated positions. Like you said, you know, establish, you know, your where you're glassing from, but like, what's, what's sort of like your, your best moment and, and what's your favorite? I mean, I, I always tell people that my, my favorite, my favorite hunt period, my favorite animal period to go after is a mule deer. And I don't know what it is that I like about them. I just really like, I just really like the species and I don't get to do it every day. So I think, spot and stock on the ground chasing a mule deer that that is what i would say is my preferred 
my preferred hunt or my favorite hunt. But if I lived in Wyoming or Montana and that's how I had to do it every day, it may not. It's very situational for me. It's like, what am I chasing? Okay, here's my favorite way to do it. You know, there's something to be said for that, too, because I, I know living in an area with a lot of mule deer, a lot of us will target whitetail just because they it's the eating, right? They, 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 they're not as rugged of an animal as compared yeah. to a mule, mule deer are very, very, you're talking about a tough, tough animal. And yeah. it, being up uh, in the rim of a canyon on a uh-huh. ship. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, so there's a lot of us that will target that. And it's like, it's funny when we go anywhere else, it's like, everybody just hears about the mule deer or elk. Elk is the other one. Yeah. Um, which I mean, you know, it's like the size of a Volkswagen and disappears like a ghost. It's a pretty formidable kind of thing. And, but, uh, you know, you, you do tend to take it for granted what you have around, but then there's also sort of the, the process, right? Because like you were saying, in a certain place where you realize, I think we were talking before, before we hopped on, just realizing what it's all about. You know, like, you know, it's, it's more the experience of the hunt for, for the most part, rather than, you know, Hey, I got my thing. And it's, it's those, those moments where you get like, Oh, this is beautiful. Or this was really hard, but I made it to the top of this Ridge. Yeah. You know, it's, it's those, those kind of things that kind of become part of it. Well, that's what I've got to, Bible verse. Uh, I don't have it written out. I just have the the book and page in my email signature and it's my favorite verse. And it is the lazy do not roast any game, but the diligent feed on the riches of the hunt. And I'm sure if you read that and you think about it completely, literally, well, the riches of the hunt, that is, that's what you come, the food you come home with, you know, and I'm sure that's how it was meant when it was written. But when I read it, to me, the riches of the hunt are everything that happens while you're there. The riches of the hunt is the experience, is the camaraderie, is the cooking, the setting up camp, the road trip to get there. That to me, that is the riches of the hunt. And that is the best part is the experience. I was going to say some of my best experiences happen when we don't have any kind of luck. We, Yep we had spring bear this year and we went up and there was a a late snowstorm and we got up there. It was, I think it was five degrees when we got up top and we were camping up top and you know, you don't pack up sticks or anything. So you have to find sticks to make a fire and there's no fire. (laughs) Like we're on a ridge line and just staked out and hoping that the, the branches that were under five feet of snow that we can dig through and find will burn. (laughs) Just one of those kind of experiences. And we got done and we're walking out. And I just remember us saying like, that was awesome. Like we didn't see a single animal. (laughs) It was still awesome. So I can identify with that verse. Yep. It's a good one. It's a good one. And I agree with you. It's always the, the stories that, uh, that I tell the most um, are always the ones that have a, a big event in them. Not necessarily a big animal got killed, but the, the ones that are the best stories are always the ones where you had a, had an unforgettable experience. That's yeah. Somebody experience. forgot their sleeping bag or something. <laughs> or, or, or I, we drove three hours to go hunt public land and I left the whole ice chest full of food sitting in the garage. 
that. Yes. <laughs> so we ate trail mix and Sonic for four days. <laughs> <laughs> trail mix and Sonic. I had a five a five pound bag of trail mix that I that I luckily did put in the truck, and there was a Sonic about fifteen miles away. So that was <laughs> that was food for four days was Sonic and trail. Oh. Mix. That'll fix your sonic addiction for a while. <laughs> no kidding. Oh man. Well, hey, uh, Ryan. Any any, any kind of last thoughts? I, I you know want to make sure that we're on on time and budget here. Uh, you know, fundamentally, and I and I like your approach too. Is that do what the terrain dictates, and and don't be a purist. You know. Yeah. N- no one should do one thing and that's it. Like if you do that, you're not really getting the full experience. And so try out new things, try out new ideas. Don't just walk in a line, you know, was it your uncle or your dad? Which one was you talking about went off and what's that now? You were talking about everybody hunting in a line and one of the party went off and just chose to do spot and stock. Was that your, your dad? Or it, your was a, it was a buddy of my dad. It was a buddy of your dad's. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It is like, don't be afraid to try new things. Like that's, you know, you don't have to be afraid of other people's ideas. And, it, it, you know, there's all kinds of methods and, and ways to go about it. Right. And do, and not, not only doing what the terrain dictates and not being a purist that only does one thing, but do what, do what you, what you think is best and what you enjoy. Just because four of your buddies are all hunting the same property out of a tree stand doesn't mean you can't hunt off the ground. If that's if that's the way you feel most comfortable, then that's the way you need to do it. I like that approach. I think more people should think like that. <laughs> yep. All right, man. Hey, uh, it is it is always a pleasure talking to you, man. And uh, again, remind everybody, where do you work and what do you specialize in? Uh, work for national rent. <laughs> national- oh, you missed that part up. <laughs> national land realty. And, uh, we specialize in all types of land acreages, uh, houses on acreages, commercial land, timber land, farms, hunting tracks, timber tracks, all of it. And how does somebody get a hold of you? Where do you work? I work in Northwest Arkansas, uh, Fayetteville Rogers area. And I also work Northeast Oklahoma and they can get in touch with me uh, by email or phone. And all of my information is on nationalland.com. Ryan, I will have your, uh, your link uh, and to your profile in, in the podcast notes. And uh, we will get, uh, we will get that information posted. All right. I appreciate it. All right, buddy. Take care. Thanks. This concludes episode number 27 of the National Land Realty Podcast, discussing spot and stock hunting versus tree stand hunting with one and the only Ryan Harris out of Little Rock, Arkansas. You can learn more about land ownership and the buying and selling of land at nationalland.com. reminder, please like, review, and share our show. Our show doesn't get found if people don't talk about it and hit that like button. So if you found this show valuable, others will too. Make sure to share it. As we get reviews, we'll share them on the podcast. Now, thank you again, and we'll see you next time.